Table with Pastor Lou Wooten, Pastor Andrew Perkins, and special guest retired Lieutenant Colonel Dole Pulowski, where we dive into the currents of the modern world and equip people with the truth that sets us free. Welcome. Welcome to Roundtable. And you reminded that I'm running solo. So this is just Lieutenant Colonel retired Joel Pulowski, and uh, we will be uh, we will be delving into all of the things that you that you care about here in uh, the Central Willamette Valley. Now, next up, though, uh, be sure to go find the uh, like button and uh, give that thing a gentle caress, and then find the subscribe button and subscribe, and then share that share this broadcast out uh, far and wide for those of you on the YouTube's and Facebooks and all that stuff. All right, and so we're going to start at the beginning uh, today and talk about some interesting stuff. And this is what I mean by starting at the beginning. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light. And it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the dark called night. And so the evening and the morning were there than the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And thus God made the firmament, also known as the earth, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And so the evening and the morning of the second day. Why do I read this? Well, there was a very interesting story that came out just a little bit ago. And if you guys haven't been paying attention to it, the uh, Webb telescope was taking pictures of the beginning of the universe, which they say is roughly 14 billion years old. And at this point, uh, there are... Okay, so they've looked back it, um, roughly 13 I, uh, and a half billion years, setting and they are looking at old photos play, of the universe. But, um, it that would be <laughs> and these photos show fully formed galaxies, so 500 no million years now, right? into the start of the universe. And why is this an issue? Well, according to scientists, uh, this broke the universe, and because uh, really? they call these these fully formed galaxies. <clears throat> Uh, universe breakers, which I think they've got that one backwards. The issue here is not that the universe is broken. It's that our scientists were actually wrong about the formation of the universe. Because at 500 million mark in time from the supposed start of the universe, that they're guessing is the start of the universe, there should be no major fully formed galaxies at all. There should okay. be some pseudo galaxies, some I new ones, some the, very rough in, in nature ones. Down. That was the original plan until 
this photo came in to, uh, into being and, um, and was discovered using the telescope that just but, literally yeah. looks back in time. Oh, there's no because time as you know, the farther away you are from something to time travel, or time, okay. it takes time for light to travel. There, I'll get that out. So the basis of a lot of the science that we deal with on a daily basis here is just that. It is conjecture. It is guesswork. Okay. Me. And for those of you that are, are, don't believe me, yeah, yeah, well, okay, fine. Just go ahead and remember. Uh, one of the books I'm reading right now is uh, called, from Copernicus called Revolutions. Am I still coming? And that book is about how he proved that the Earth was not the center of the universe. Remember, okay, I don't know. at one point in time, the science was very settled that the Earth was the center of the universe, and Copernicus and yeah, several sorry, bishops got together and yeah, challenged that orthodoxy and created what we call the solar system, Okay, proving that the sun was the center of the solar system and not uh, the Earth and all of the heavens rotating around the Earth, as was uh, people thought it was not complete. So food. anyway, we're having some tea, and we're talking about the beginning of things. So let's talk about another baseline issue yeah. here. How many people out there, show of hands, believe that we have eight billion people in the po world population? Uh, okay, I see a few of you. All right. Okay. Let's think about this for half a second. All right. Okay. How is it that? Well, we know the U.S. Census is off by a bit. Because we don't count some people and we do count others and there are always corrections being made to it. But that's not the issue. So in the International Monetary Fund, we'll give you loans based on the population size of your country. Did you know that? And if you declare you have more people in your country, they will give you a bigger loan that you almost don't ever have to pay back. Oh. We have right now, according to the world population, the world population clock, we have 8 billion, uh, almost 1.8 billion people, 8.1 billion people. Okay. And there are currently 185,000 change births today. But this is all just math. This is an actual real counting of anyone. All right. So this is guesswork. Once again, so we have lots of guesswork going on. Oh, you know what also happened in guesswork land here in the Portland area? Portland got the second most snow ever, 10.8 inches at the Portland airport. Uh, and that was on Thursday. Hmm. So it was supposed to be a light dusting. It was 10.8 inches instead. And as usual, it's colder than it was supposed to be. The wind was stronger than it was supposed to be. And this is just guessing about meteorology. So we do this all the time. We look at things and we try and figure out what is going to happen. And most of the time, we actually are wrong. Okay. There might be roughly 8 billion people in the, on the world. But there is not exactly the number that they're selling you there is. All right. As a matter of fact, I probably believe the number, I believe the number is much closer to 6 billion, which is going to come in handy in the next couple of years. Because if you haven't noticed what's happening in our food supply system, uh, then I suggest you start paying attention. So here we are. We're all of five minutes into the show. 
and I've already covered the entire history of the world. Isn't that awesome? We have a lot of stuff to cover. <laughs> so we're going to we're gonna work on this because so I wasn't here last week. And uh, the reason why was because I was at the uh, I was at the state central committee meeting for the Oregon Republican Party. Because as everyone knows who listens to this show, I am the chairman of the Marion County Republican Party, mm-hmm. which means I get to go to these meetings and sit all day. And when I mean all day, I mean all day. From like 7 a.m. to like 5 p.m. we were there. Anyway, so, and we would have been there longer, but we only had one actual election to carry on. If we'd had four actual elections to carry for the, uh, for the party uh, leadership uh, executive team, uh, we would have been there till nine o'clock at night, maybe 10, who knows? Anyway, so I was there. Um, and there was, uh, there was a lot of interesting stuff that happened in there. We, uh, so we reelected, uh, Justin Lang, the, uh, uh, party chairman for, uh, Oregon, uh, Angela Plowhead is, uh, was reelected as vice chair, uh, and Alex Haddad, and I hope I say that right, Alex, uh, was reelected as treasurer and they were all running unopposed. And then, uh, Joe Ray Perkins, uh, who has been on this show, uh, was elected secretary. All right. And so we have uh, a new team for the next two years. Cross our fingers that they they last two years. Uh, Unlike the previous regime, which uh, bowed out rather quickly. Um, But anyway, (laughs) so that's one of the things that happened there. And there was interesting things that happened there. And to give you some background on what is what is important for why the Oregon Republican Party actually matters. One of the, if you haven't paid attention to or haven't known about the money that's coming into the Democrat Party of Oregon, um, they have had illegal funds come into them uh, that they've admitted to in terms of uh, half a million dollars. It's much more in terms when you look at actual candidates and it's a range of 14 million in the last election cycle. So this is the kind of thing that we're that we're facing. Okay, we have we have a corrupt Democrat Party that is fighting with illegal funds using uh, from they got the money from FTX, which stole the money from their from the investors of that company. Okay, and so uh, and that half a million single donate half a million dollar single donation. Uh, is is currently under question and under investigation by the Secretary of State. Uh, there's been a fine levied for against the Democrats uh, for not reporting in on time in terms of thirty five thousand dollars. They will uh, they will have to pay the fine. They're going to fight it, but they'll have to pay the fine. And then, as we get through that process, uh, there's a possibility of a criminal referral as well. And uh, there are folks that think that the uh, the person who should investigate uh, this is not the attorney general who happens to be a Democrat, but should be uh, the nonpartisan uh, Paige Clarkson, who's the Marion County uh, DA. All right. And uh, that's that's what I would prefer to see, uh, because our attorney general has 
has been very interesting in the way she's prosecuted uh, some cases and and defended some things and been pretty partisan too. So I wouldn't expect a, a fair shake from her. Okay, so that's a little background. Here's another little background too. Um, Paul Ryan did an interview and on the interview, he said, would not be going to the RNC convention if Trump was the nominee. And to Paul Ryan, I say, deal. You don't go. Okay. And why is this? Why does this matter? Why is Paul Ryan talking about this stuff? Okay. Well, if you rem you may not remember, but if you go back to the 2016 convention, okay, there was an attempt by Paul Ryan and others to sh to short circuit or uh, substitute himself for President Trump uh, in the nomination process and steal the, tr the nomination pro nomination from Trump. And this was work being worked out on a floor fight. One of the people that stopped this from happening was the Oregon National Committee man, Solomon Yu. And the reason why we care about this is because Trump is running again in 2024, okay? And the people at the RNC are very interested in making sure that Solomon Yu, or not, that Trump, sorry, that Trump does not get the nomination again. Right now, if you look at the polling, he's a shoe in for it. Okay. Yes, there was a Rasmussen, not Rasmussen, I forget. There was a poll put out this week, uh, and Trump had 52% of the Republican uh, electorate for the nomination. And Trump and Ron DeSantis was at 24%. Nikki Haley was at 12%. And those were the only three people that were listed there. And there were some, you know, undecideds as well. <coughs> so that means the, the, uh, oh, I'm starting. The, the establishment is scared straight. It's scared about Trump as the nominee. And we saw in East Palestine this week where he showed up and, and provided some real leadership. If we see that Trump for the next 18 months, he wins the presidency and he probably wins 40 states and they would have to come up with 120 million fake votes in order to defeat him. All right. So what we need right now is people that are on the side of President Trump. And Solomon Yu is one of those people who has proven through his actions and his dedication to, to that to be on the side of President Trump. And so one of the things that we saw at the, this is, I love how I'm going. At, are we having some problems here or something? We're having sound issues. Is, can people hear me at all? They can hear you. Okay, good. All right. It's just not loud enough sometimes. Okay. I'll yell. Being glitchy. Okay. All right. Yes. All right. So anyway. So back to the back to the state central committee meeting. Okay, so why do we care about this? Well, because in the, the in the morning of the state central committee meeting, there was an effort to suspend the bylaws, and the reason why you suspend the bylaws is so you can have nominations from the floor. All right, and nominations from the floor means that you can put anybody in any position up for re-election essentially at that time. All right. Uh, this includes, you know, short-circuiting people who are still due to be in office for another 18 months. Uh, anyway, which is the, both the National Committee man and National Committee woman. 
So the point here is we had an attempt to short circuit. That was stopped with a vote in the morning. But then those folks were informed that they could bring up a suspension of the bylaws in the afternoon under new business. Well, under new business, okay, an interesting thing happened in the back of the room. And not many people actually turned around and noticed this. I don't know, okay, but I knew about it, all right? Um, and that is Mark Thielman showed up in the back of the room uncredentialed. He was not approved to be in that office or to be in the room in a private meeting of the Oregon Republican Party. He's not even a PCP. He's not a delegate. He wasn't there as an alternate. He was just in the back of the room by himself, standing there for no apparent reason. This is in Albany. This is in Albany at the Expo Center where we are at. So there was no other events going on where he might have just wandered into the room by accident. Okay. And the other concerning thing was when someone went to when the uh, one of the event managers went to find the sergeant of arms to have him escorted from the room, the sergeant of arms, both of them actually, were unavailable and unable to be found. So that leads us to some unsavory conclusions. Because the second attempt at uh, suspending the bylaws in the afternoon, okay, was also foiled because we just simply ran out of time, all right? And an adjournment was called at about 5 p.m., okay? And I seconded at that because we had been there long enough and we were just talking about stuff in circles at that point. <clears throat> Why do we care about all of this? Why was Mark Thielman there? I don't know why Mark Thielman was there. I don't really care why Mark Thielman was there, other than the fact that he wasn't supposed to be there. All right, who invited him in? Who let him know he was there? Who let him in the room, et cetera, et cetera. All of those wonderful questions people love to ask about these things. All right, the next question is, we have had some folks in the Republican Party spend the last two years, roughly, attacking Solomon Yu for, and blaming him and trying to scapegoat him for all of the problems of the Oregon Republican Party for the last 20 years. And to that, I only have to say two words, Bob Packwood. Yeah, I'm gonna piss off some people. Bob Packwood was the best senator we ever had. Yes, for 1996, okay? And then he left in disgrace. And if you don't think that disgrace had fallout, you're delusional, because it did, all right? And that did massive damage to the Oregon Republican Party. All right, the way he departed. And given that he was the standard bearer of the Oregon Republican Party at the time, you would think that his fallout would have lasting impact, and it did. A little more tea here. So, so the folks that are interested in removing Solomon Yu as national committee man would dearly love to see him removed before they get a chance to vote for it, by the way, in 24, summer 24. Uh, dearly see him, dearly love to see him removed before the RNC convention in 24. So he can no longer fight the good floor fight for Trump. All right. And there are other people around the country who are being attacked the same way. All right. So for the, all of you that think Solomon Yu is the so, sole problem in the entire Oregon Republican Party, and I know there are many of you because I've talked to a bunch of you, all right? I would just like you to look around and look at the picture. 
okay, and try and understand that this is not about you and this is not about Oregon. This is about Trump. So removing Solomon is about making sure Trump doesn't get to be president again. It's that simple. It is that simple. There is no other nefarious rules or reasons for it. There's no Chinese communist plot. There's nothing else going on other than Republican politics as usual. Okay? So let's try and all get along now, shall we? And realize that Solomon is on your side and Tracy Honnell is on your side. Okay? And even though they all make mistakes and they don't all work the way you want them to work, okay, they're both on the side of Oregon. And that's what we need. We need people who represent us at the national level to be on the side of Oregon. All right. <sighs> I think my rant is over there a little bit. Did I spend some, too much time on that, do you think, Neil? No. No? Okay. No, you do. Because <laughs> that's not something you're going to hear literally in any other broadcast anywhere else. Right. Because I was at the meeting. I sat two seats away from the speaker's microphone. Okay. For the whole day, I was only out of the room for less than five minutes because, you know, sometimes I drink too much tea. All right. This is kind of funny, but that's how that goes. So we're going to talk about some other stuff in Oregon. And let's talk about Trump for a moment again. All right. And East Palestine. Could you, do you have that clip? Can you play that? Let's get that thing queued up and I'll talk about this here. So Trump went to East Palestine on, on Wednesday and he brought with him Trump water and McDonald's and other stuff. So if you, as soon as you get let me know. All right. And then we will um, uh, then we will play this and I'll try and set it. So he is signing hats in this clip for those of you that are on the radio. He's signing hats surrounded by people yelling out his name and talking to him and he's talking back. All right, There's so go ahead. Drill the back. real president. That's not. That's not. Thank you. So you can give a visual for YouTube. So for those of you on YouTube, he's handing out hats, by the way, and signing them there that said 47. Why do you think they waited? So what is the Trump that everyone fell in love with? Have fun, everybody. All right, he was the man of the people, Trump, that absolutely blew away the establishment, and no one was able to stop. Okay. Ted Cruz, by the way, gave it the, probably the best shot of anybody, and he wasn't even considered establishment at the time. So if we you don't realize, have when you think about the way the 2016 election went and the primaries for that, the two last two guys standing at the end were both non-establishment from the Republican Party. All right, so there was no trouble for people uh, like myself, by the way, who supported Ted Cruz. Okay, and I voted for him in the primary here in Oregon. All right, but I had no trouble supporting Trump. Once he became the nominee, I was like, we're all in on that one. Okay. There was no issue there because many of the same issues that Ted Cruz was pushing were the same issues that Trump was pushing. They were just coming at it with different language. <coughs> all right. So compare that in the same day that Trump is in East Palestine. Okay. Bringing food and aid. And he brought money as well to these folks. All right. Um, and attention. It, most especially, he brought worldwide attention to this problem. All right. And this problem was deliberately set up. So we could talk about the train derailment 
but most people have already kind of covered that and know that you know it really was it yes it was an accident it was an avoidable accident and the aftermath was just deliberately ridiculous the best thing you can say about it is it was massively incompetent anyway so while trump was in east palestine the the thing that was happening in other parts of the world was Joe Biden was in Ukraine with $500 million that East Palestine could have used for the expensive cleanup that's going to be required of the water and the air. Well, who knows about not so much the air, but definitely the water and the ground. Okay. You know, vinyl chloride, and you know, uh, phosgene gas, which by the way was a uh, chemical agent used in World War One in trench warfare. Okay, was unleashed on these people. Okay, I mean, this is literally chemical warfare was un- unleashed on the people of East Palestine. Okay, and so while Biden was in uh, in Ukraine, you know, pandering to his buddy Zelensky, okay, Trump is in East Palestine, and Ron DeSantis is in Staten Island collecting money from the establishment Republicans, from the Paul Ryan crowd. Okay, so... That shows you in one day a microcosm of what this race is going to look like. Okay. So you're going to hear about how Ron DeSantis saved the world. Okay. And he changed you. Those of you that don't know, Ron DeSantis was all in with all of the lockdowns until one singular event happened and God intervened. And that was the arresting of Rod, Pastor Rodney Brown. Okay. Until Pastor Brown was arrested, Rodney, correction. Pastor Rodney Howard Brown, that's his full name. Until he was arrested, Ron DeSantis was fully on board with all of the lockdowns, okay? Once Pastor Brown was arrested, that's when it became a wake-up call to him. And that didn't happen right away, and that didn't happen while Trump was talking about, hey, we need this to end by Easter, okay? Trump talked about this was going, from the very second of the of the lockdowns, Trump talked about how this was going to be 15 days and 15 days only, okay? And then there was massive pressure put on, media calls, and all kinds of other stuff was put on. And yes, he should not have relented under that. But you know what? This is unique, unique ground. And when you have kind the kind of pressure that is put on and the models that were being shown at that time, if you remember... They were talking about five to 10 million Americans dying, okay, in the middle of March of 20 from COVID, all right? That was always and forever will be a lie, all right? Because that was the kind of pressure that was being applied to him, that was being applied to President Trump. And I don't know anybody that would not have made the same decisions that he made at that time given the information that he had available to him and that was presented to him at the time. Okay. So you got to remember the deep state, okay, was lying to President Trump from the moment he stepped into office. Okay. The Department of Defense told him there was less than 2,500 soldiers in Syria when there was over 12,000 for the entirety of his administration. And they did not admit to the true number until almost the end of his administration. All right. So that's another example of the kind of disinformation that Trump was working with, okay? So when people say, well, he let Fauci be in there, okay? Well, in March and in April and in May, okay, Fauci and Dr. Birx were the answer to all of the problems 
and no one else got a word in edgewise. Okay. So, you know, stop with the revisionist history. Okay. And go back and look at the actual history of what happened. And then when Trump turned things over and he never, he never tried to federalize it. And there was pressure for him to federalize the lockdowns. He never, ever, ever considered that as far as I know. All right. And so as a result of that being pushed down to the governors, that then let people like Ron DeSantis make the decisions that they were then able to make. Okay. And Christy Nome in South Carolina or South Dakota. Okay. And some other governors made better decisions than what was made here in Oregon, for example. Okay. <clears throat> and so I'm getting the high sign that we have someone on the phone. Who am I talking with? Who's on the phone? Good morning. It's Art. How are you this morning? Hey, Art. It's 12:30 in the afternoon. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> hey, well, <laughs> uh, when you're working and doing stuff, you know, you lose all track of time. But you're you're absolutely correct. Um, I just wanted to call because, uh, you know, you talked about the train derailment, and you're kind of the head of the Republican here in Marion County. Are, are you guys going to really push... Uh, here, see, I'm surrounded by railroad tracks on three sides, and I really don't want to see uh, what happened back there happen here. And so I just wanted to mention that, uh, you know, I think the Republican Party right now should be pushing for safety here in Oregon. I just wanted to interject with that because I know we have problems with the railways here in the Salem area from time to time. And really our, our, our Republican Party ought to be pushing for some resolve uh, so that we're better protected. I just wanted to bring that up because yep. I think it's very important. We, so one of the, the, the whole transportation bill, if you remember uh, before the first year that came during the... I'm sorry? Okay. The transportation bill, the 1.7... Uh, not transportation, infrastructure bill. Uh, $1.7 trillion infrastructure bill, which paid for uh, everything as infrastructure, only had, uh, if I remember right, about $120 billion dollars of actual real physical infrastructure uh, repairs and upgrades in it. Okay. Uh, and this is in terms of like the national uh, transportation system, this is federal. Okay. Because of the <clears throat> commerce clause. Okay. <clears throat> and this is part of the problem of why we have uh, uh, some of the issues. We have one stop shopping for our lobbyists to go to, uh, to get to short circuit some of these things. Uh, so during Trump's administration, um, the uh, let me set it up this way. So there was a show uh, that you guys might have heard of. It has some cackling women on it. It's called The View. All right. And these uh, one of these women, uh, Joy Behar. OK. And I use that term in the loosest of sense. OK. Um, basically said because Trump under his administration reduced regulations on transportation and because you voted for Trump 
okay, that East Palestine got what it deserved. All right. That's not what art is talking about. What art is talking about is that when you have something like last fall, the chance for the uh, railway workers and the railway uh, and the railways themselves, the companies, okay, to sit down and negotiate a contract, okay. And one of the biggest complaints that the railway workers had was the lack of safety involved in transportation on the rails in terms of inspections, okay, because they were shortcutting inspections, okay, and they were shortcutting maintenance, all right, okay, and they wanted they wanted more inspectors, all right, and they wanted more money spent on maintenance for the tracks, okay, because the guys who are working those trains are riding on them when they derail, in case you didn't know, all right, so if you're riding on something and your life is on the line, you probably want it to work, okay? That's why airline pilots care about maintenance as well, all right? <laughs> so during that negotiation last fall, where the railways were talking about striking, the railway workers were talking about striking and came real close to it, all right, they got overridden by Joe Biden and the administration to keep basically the same standards in place, okay? for maintenance and inspections happening, all right? So that is written in the contracts. That is not written so much into the regulations, all right? The contracts between the workers and the, and the companies decide how many people will be doing inspections, how many inspectors there will be, okay? And it does have an impact on how much maintenance is done because it decides how many maintainers there are, all right? And those two things had more to do with the the accident in East Palestine than anything else uh, in terms of the government regulating it, okay? The government never regulates proper maintenance, okay? They only regulate things like you have to have X number of wheels touching the track. I'm, I'm making stuff up here, okay? But, you know, the OSHA will tell you that the banister has to be 30 inches tall, okay? They won't tell you the banister has to be welded properly, all right. They'll assume that part. All right. And if the person who's putting the banister in there is not doing good work, well, the banister will fail regardless of the regulation. So we'll see that kind of stuff come up more and more as our infrastructure continues to crumble. By the way, I saw a picture of a train tracks, uh, train bridge uh, this week, and it uh, it was two two spans of the bridge were literally held together on the post uh, that was holding the two of them up. Uh, it was held together with chains, like one wrapped band of chain. And it is just ridiculous, you know, that our infrastructure a lot of times is being held together essentially with bailing wire and hope. Okay. Well, we go spend another $2 billion today on Ukraine. Okay. Uh, and those of you that think that we're done spending on Ukraine, no, they're talking about the re the rebuilding bill, and the rebuilding bill for Ukraine is three hundred and fifty billion dollars on the low end. Okay, yes, this is an infinite money suck called Ukraine. All right, and if you don't like it, too bad. All right, uh, you haven't seen the piece from Steve Deese where he was on uh, Tim Pool's show. Uh, this week, uh, and he basically said, you can have my son to fight in Ukraine over my dead body, and I 
My sons are too old to be drafted at this moment, but uh, I completely agree. I have grandchildren, all right? And uh, no, I have a 15-year-old grandson, okay? And you cannot have him. You will not have him. He will never go fight your freaking oligarchical war, Yeah. all right? This is not a war. This is a war of complete choice in Ukraine, all right? And pushed by Victoria Newland and others, okay, in the U.S. government, all right? This is nothing to do with what any kind of interest that the United States has in anywhere in the world other than making sure Raytheon and its uh, Secretary of Defense get to pad their retirement, but their retirements. That's about it. I'm done ranting about the Ukraine <laughs> war right now because it's really going to piss me off. <laughs> and then, then I'm going to start saying something inappropriate, okay? You know, because we're, we're at this point right now where, you know what's trending on Twitter this morning before I came into the show? F Ukraine was, trend, was, was trending on Twitter, okay? So if you don't know what F stands for, it's, it stands for um, F. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's talk about some Oregon stuff. All right, we got some crazy stuff going on in Oregon. Le the silly season is in full swing here in the Oregon legislature. All right, uh, let's see. Oh, yes, so I'm gonna bring this thing up, and this is actually election stuff here in Oregon. All right, uh, tweeted out about this yesterday, and it went all over the place. All right, I'm just gonna scroll to the right spot so I get to the right article so that I can read this properly. Okay. Uh, now, and uh, this goes back to uh, yours and my favorite person, uh, Mark Thielman and his lawsuit against uh, Shima Fagan. Okay. Um, and the, the issue here is some of the complaints that were in this lawsuit, okay, I don't know if they've been brought to law enforcement, but they should be. That's where they should have gone, okay? If they're not brought to law, especially this one I'm about to read, if they're not brought to law enforcement, well, that's just criminal in of itself. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote this here from the lawsuit. Uh, and this is regarding the University of Oregon and students therein. So all students at the University of Oregon received two ballots, one at the university and the other at their home address, many of whom homes are out of state. Karen Kaplan was a manager of the University of Oregon Recycling Department. She was known for her partisan nature and often displayed her American Communist Party membership card to her student employees friends and coworkers on campus. Under her directive, beginning in 1998, she had separate recycling receptacles specifically for ballots placed in student mail areas and other high traffic places on campus. Students were encouraged to recycle their ballot. Okay. University recycling employees would go around daily prior to election day to collect the ballots from the recycling bin. The piles of discarded ballots were then driven off campus and delivered to an SEIU office located at the, located at the time at the Ulano Credit Union building in Eugene, Oregon. SEIU is the public employee union representing healthcare workers and other university employee groups. All right. With ballots in hand, the SEIU sent out emails from the field office to university employees, that is in union membership, soliciting help with phone banking and or filling out ballots. 
Witnesses to this process attest that the filling out of ballots was coercive and completely favored union-endorsed Democrat candidates. According to the complaint, the University of Oregon students are still receiving two ballots. There is no reason to believe this practice has stopped. The University of Oregon, continue here, is the University of Oregon has over 30,000 students, which clearly generates roughly 30,000 ballots. If it's 50% of those students decide they're going to vote out of state and recycle the ballot, they put 15,000 ballots into the recycle bin in Lane County, Oregon. Okay. The, the only question I have is whether or not the Lane County Sheriff has investigated this or not. This is the only question. Everything else is irrelevant. The lawsuit, okay, if this has been known for months in the lawsuit because the, this lawsuit has been going on for months, then the person's negligent for not reporting this to the Lane County, Oregon, which would be Mark Thielman, needs to be held accountable for that. Because this should, when he learned this information, and when Steve Junkus, the attorney, learned this information, it should have gone directly to the Lane County Sheriff and not stopped and not passed go, not gone anywhere else. That's the only place it should have gone. They could have added it to their lawsuit in place, but it needed to go for investigation first and last and nowhere, nowhere else other than that. Okay. There are other complaints in here in the lawsuit that are, that are bad, but they're all subjective. <laughs> and there's a lot of assumptions in them. But this one, this one has specific witnesses mentioned. Okay, so those witnesses need to be interviewed and those people need to be and this needs to be investigated as in now, not as in some point in the future. Okay, so if you have not turned this information over to the Lane County Sheriff's, you need to do so now, not at some point in the future when you're when you're done with this lawsuit or whenever. Because, by the way, putting this in your lawsuit opens you up to perjury, so it better be true. That's all I'm saying. And that's an Oregon thing. We got other Oregon stuff to talk about too. We have okay. universal control care coming through the coming through the pipe. All right. And for that, I'm just going to tell you a personal story. All right. So universal healthcare is uh, is now part of the Oregon Constitution, the right to healthcare. All right. And now there is a bill in the Oregon legislature to create a uh, board that would manage this health care. Okay. Um, I'm hoping it will get voted down uh, because it probably requires an increase in funding and uh, the Democrats no longer have a super majority. So getting additional funding stuff is going to be difficult for them. But I lived uh, I was in the Army for nearly 30 years. And for those of you that don't know what it's like to be in the military, that's called universal health care when it comes to your medical care. You don't get to choose your doctor. You get whoever is available, all right? And you get who's ever on the on shift at the time, all right, if you go into, you go into a clinic, all right? So I have had experiences where I have had to take a soldier into uh, the hospital. This happened at Fort Hood when I was a lieutenant. Took a soldier into the hospital who had been injured while working in the motor pool. All right. <clears throat> he had a dislocated right shoulder. So in order to fix him, they fixed his right, his left shoulder. L let me say that again. Okay. His right shoulder was dislocated. 
So they took his left shoulder and dislocated it mm. and sent him home with two dislocated shoulders because they matched at that point. It was rank incompetence. Okay. And he was incredible amounts of pain because he was better now. And they told him it would, uh, the swelling would go down and everything would be better in a couple hours. Yes. <laughs> Neil's shaking his head at me like, that's crazy. That did. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Okay. Yes, it did. So yes, we took him back. I personally returned him to the emergency room. Okay. And had the conversation with the admitting nurse who admitted him the first time. Okay. And told her what had happened and where and what the problem was. Okay. And then I walked him through the whole process to get both shoulders repaired or basically put back into joint. Okay. And then he was in two slings for like two weeks afterwards while his shoulders healed. Okay. And we had to spoon feed him. Okay. <laughs> because he couldn't move either arm. It was, yeah, it was kind of funny after a while. Like a year later, we were laughing about it. But at the moment, it was pretty bad. Okay. And that's a simple thing, really, in terms of medical issues. Okay. My own personal issue where I had was uh, I got to experience the Australian healthcare system at its finest. <clears throat> For those of you that don't know, Australia has a dual system. It has a, a universal public system that's available to everybody. And then if you've got enough money, you can, you can buy some health insurance as well. So even if we have health insurance here, that's a universal health insurance, you, private insurance is not going away, by the way. We'll probably end up something closer to the, if, if this goes into place, something closer to the uh, Australian system. And the Australian system has some real flaws in it. Okay. For example, when I got there, uh, and this was in the uh, summer of 06, uh, we met a man who was working at the local grocery store. And over the next couple of months, he became friends. And we knew, uh, and he had a very unusual habit because he, was, he had a liquid diet, 100% liquid diet that he was on. And once, you know, you ask the obvious questions, why are you, everything's liquid. Why are you eating everything liquid? Well, he had a hole in his esophagus. And so he had to drink everything with a long straw that actually kind of sort of intubated himself with, and he was used to it. And I could only imagine getting used to that. I would not want to. Mm -hmm. So why would, did he have a hole in his esophagus? He looked perfectly healthy. Well, apparently eight months before he had been in an auto accident. And when the uh, impact on the steering wheel in the car had injured him and caused the tear in his esophagus, and then it had basically healed. So he needed surgery, which was outpatient surgery, by the way, to fix the, uh, the tear in his esophagus. Well, since that was considered an optional surgery and non-critical, because he could still eat with a liquid diet, um, he then got to uh, experience the joys of leading, eating a liquid diet for nearly three years. All right. So I, the entire time that I was there, which was almost two years, he was on a liquid diet. He finally got the surgery about eight months after I left. Okay. In that time, he dropped from 250 pounds to about 120. Okay. And the reason why he was given the surgery was not because 
the esophagus tear was critical. It was because his weight loss had become so bad, he was literally in danger of starving to death. All right? So that's when the Australian medical system was willing to act. Okay? That's universal health care. Second story. I've got a, I've got a bunch. This is all in two years. This is just from people I knew. Can't buy. So we had another friend. She actually got in an accident herself, although it was falling downstairs, and she injured her knee as a result. Okay, and because she was in her mid sixties, she ended up having to have knee reconstruction as a result. So this is from an accident falling down, but because she was overweight, okay, by about fifty pounds. The Australian system said, we're not going to give you your knee surgery until you lose 50 pounds. So did they give her the option of losing 50 pounds by herself? Nope. They required her to have lap band surgery in order to lose the weight. She was not given an option about which kind of surgery, weight reduction surgery she wanted. She could have had liposuction and they could have sucked 50 pounds off of her. Okay. Nope, she was required to have lap band surgery, okay, which is a very intensive surgery, which is general anesthesia and is uh, much more riskier than many other versions of weight reduction surgery. Long story short, she got the lap band surgery. She lost the 50 weight, 50 pounds. She got the knee surgery, okay, but it took the better part of three years for all of that to happen, okay. In the meantime, okay, while she was waiting to lose weight, while she was waiting, she was waiting nearly six months for the lap band surgery, while she was waiting to get the knee surgery done, okay, <clears throat> it was, uh, her knee basically became fused, all right, because of the damage that was done to her knee, it was never hit, <clears throat> never healed. So she ended up with a full knee replacement instead of a corrective surgery to repair the damage, all right. And so as a result of waiting, there was a much more expensive, much more uh, intensive surgery required that had a much longer healing time and recovery time as a result. Okay, now here's my story. So the Queen's birthday weekend of 2007, that Friday, I developed a fever. And I went into the local hospital with a fever of 105. I have no clear recollection of this because I was obviously a little out of it with 105 fever. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was told later, okay, that, that I was sent home with a uh, prescription for Motrin, okay, and told to come back on Tuesday when the long weekend was over with my 105 fever. Now, why do you ask? Well, because 105 and a fever is fatal. That's why. Okay? It can be. All right? And when I got sick, I even as a small child, I developed high fevers. All right? So I'm very conscious of that. So not only did they send me home, I drove, well, I actually, I drove myself to the hospital. So with a delirious 105 fever, they told me to go home. So I drove myself home. I don't remember it. As a matter of fact, I remember heading to the hospital, okay, and uh, from work and saying, I really feel really, really bad. And I didn't feel that out of it. Didn't feel my fever was that high at the time. Um, but it spiked on me. 
when I was waiting to be seen in the hospital. I don't remember the initial uh, consultation. Don't remember driving home. Don't remember being rechecked into the hospital. Don't remember my friend who ran the hospital calling the doctor in who had gone home for the weekend to prescribe antibiotics for me <coughs> so that I could get better. I remember waking up at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. Okay, That's the next memory that I had after leaving work on Friday. With all the wires and tubes you can imagine that someone has in the, when they're in the air ward in a hospital, okay, packed in bags of ice. Yes, it was a little chilly, sort of. Apparently, I had gone through something like 28 bags of ice overnight, okay? Yeah, okay. Now, did the system work? No. Why do I say that the system didn't work? Well, because the system sent me home because it didn't want to bother the doctor on a long weekend, all right? If it had not been for a friend of mine, okay, all right, who was actually ran the hospital, she was the hospital administrator, okay, saw me driving out of the parking lot, okay, and went back in to ask why I was there, all right? If she had not done that, I would be dead. Flat out. I would not have made it through the night. Okay. Motrin had no effect whatsoever on my fever. All right. <coughs> and that brings us to why we don't want universal health care. If you want to actually change health care and you want to change the way it's delivered, then you do three things. One, you make it portable so you can buy your own health care plan when you're 18 and you keep it with you for the rest of your life. Okay, and you constantly pay into it, and it operates like life insurance or whole insurance or many of the other insurances out there in the world. Okay, second, you make it so that you can buy across state lines and you can buy from anyone. Okay, and you get rid of all of the artificial monopolies that get that gave us um, that that we created when we rolled out Obamacare uh, in the first place. And you, of course, you get rid of Obamacare because that takes everybody and collectivizes them and turns everybody into a community standard for healthcare instead of an individual. Last thing that you do right, is that That does it for this episode. And if you're interested in connecting with a community of like-minded people, please go to our website at www.therivernorthwest.com, Facebook, or download our TRC smartphone app from the Apple app or Google Play stores. If you like what you've been hearing today, I encourage you to go to wherever you're listening to this and leave us a review so we can make the show even better for you. Thank you for listening. And as always, speak the truth in love.